Well, hi there, and welcome to Unshaken. I'm Julie Van Warmer, your host for today's episode, and I'm so glad you're joining me. I want to take a minute before we get started and invite you to head over to our socials, Facebook and Instagram. Follow or like us at Women of the Word CTW. This is our umbrella account that covers and highlights this podcast, Unshaken, our blog called Planted, our mom-to-mom ministry aimed at encouraging mothers in the work they do, and also our Regarding Him conference that happens yearly in March. There is so much good content on these socials, you are not going to want to miss it, so go follow them today. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast directory, like Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, CastBox. It helps us out and it also helps you out because you get notifications of new episodes that drop each and every Thursday. You can also reach out to us at unshakenpsalm622 at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you if you ever have any ideas, suggestions, or thoughts about an episode. Or maybe you just want to tell me about something that you heard on an episode and how it impacted you. Finally, Unshaken is a podcast for women, put on by women, and our goal is to encourage and challenge and point women to Jesus Christ. And as you know, with Jesus, we can be unshaken no matter our circumstances. Hey, let's jump right into our episode today. All right, today's episode is number 126. The title is called Embracing In-Laws. Now, this particular episode may be called Embracing Our In-Laws, but actually there's so much more in this talk. I'm so excited that I get to share it with you today. As this is being released, we are in the beginning of November 2022, and you know what that means? A lot of holidays coming up. And you know what that means? A lot of family time. Now, this might bring you great joy to think about spending time with your aunts and uncles and your parents and your in-laws, but maybe it actually brings stress when you think about all the different people that you need to see, that you need to love, and you need to accommodate their wishes. Well, today we're going to listen in on our recent mom-to-mom meeting where Melina Smith talked about how we, we can learn to love those in our extended family and honor God in doing so. Let's jump in. All right, um, I'm going to confess I don't like speaking in public at all. So I wrote a speech, and if it looks like I'm just reading off my speech, I really apologize. I will try to make eye contact with you as I go, but all right, anyways. Okay, so I'm Melina. Um, I'm married to Asher. We have five children ranging from 10 to 20 years old. We've been married for almost 23 years. And like, like Audrey said, I'm going to talk about how we as wives and mothers can love the people that God has put in our lives people that we didn't necessarily choose to have in our lives, but were born or married into a relationship with them. Family. Not just your own husband and children, but your extended family. For some reason, it's often these relationships that can be the most challenging. These people can be hard to love and can feel downright toxic. We live in a culture that tells us if people are toxic, we have every right to separate from them, cut them out of our lives, whether they are family or not. We are told these people are the people we need to guard against because they make our lives harder. Wouldn't it be altogether easier if we could just excise these toxic people from our lives and not deal with them? 
Let's take a quick pause to talk about, quote, toxic people. In my Google research, I found toxic people are defined as those who have no regard for your feelings, entirely self-involved, make you feel inferior, constantly criticizes, lacks boundaries, and is just full of negativity. If I'm honest with myself, I can embody all those toxic traits at different points in my life. And ladies, so can you. I can definitely be self-involved, overly critical. And if I'm feeling especially angry or hurt, I can be full of negativity. And I might make the perpetrator of that pain feel inferior. Let's not use the language of the world to define people or relationships. Christ loves toxic people. We're sinners because Christ loves us. As Christians, it should not be the world or our own personal feelings that dictate how we treat each other, especially family members that God has placed in our lives. It is the word of God that should be our guide in our relationships. Jesus tells us in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, when asked what the greatest commandment was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor or a difficult family member as we love ourselves is a helpful and practical way we can gauge whether we are truly loving them. How do we want to be treated if this situation was reversed? Am I giving the same grace to others I would give myself? Loving extended family means treating them the way I want to be treated. And what is love? The love the world talks about is very different from the love described in the Bible. The world's love is definitely more feelings-based. It's centered on our emotions and not so much our actions. 1 Corinthians 13 is a helpful place to go to remember what biblical love is. It tells us, love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous, love does not brag, it is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take wrong in, into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This is our rubric to what love is and how we should be treating those God has put in our lives. If we read this verse carefully, it's extremely challenging. That first part about being patient and kind sounds super doable. You think, I can be kind and patient to that mean, unpleasant person? But that part about not being provoked or taking wrongs into account, bearing all things, that's actually really hard, especially when we've been hurt and disappointed. But this is what the Word of God says love is, and this is the kind of love we need to aim to love our family members with. We need to remember that in every relationship, there are two sinners, you and the other person. And in conflict, we are almost never without blame. We, as believers, know that we are sinners, but we are forgiven because Christ has sacrificed himself for us. Is there a better example in how to love deeply without restraint? When it comes to loving family members, our attitude should be that we can never love too much. This can look different with different family members. With our children, this is probably the most natural. As mothers, we easily sacrifice for them and pour into them, even as we may feel underappreciated. For extended family, it may be continually reaching out to someone who is unpleasant or unresponsive, or serving someone again and again who is ungrateful. It's pouring love into someone who may not return that love. 
My brother-in-law, Adam, has moved an older, single, childless aunt near him for the purpose of being able to care for her as she ages. She's a sweet woman who can sometimes be difficult to deal with. Still, Adam and his family continue to care for her by taking care of her house projects, helping her recover from surgery, and just spending time with her. He's an amazingly patient nephew who's a picture of Christ to our aunt. He loves and serves her even when there's very little reward in return. And we can love without expecting something in return because that's how Christ loves us. And this is what's required of us even if we've been sinned against. 1 Peter 4.8 tells us, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And we, when we have been sinned against, we can be forgiving because Christ has forgiven us and we can cover it with love. If we hang on to the ways we've been sinned against, we will grow resentful. We need to let go of the idea that we must have the offending party seek our forgiveness in order to let something go and be loving. But how do we get there without bitterness and anger? 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7 tells us, Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. And Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfish and empty conceit, but hum with humility of mind, regard one another more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. When we are humble, <clears throat> it's easier to forgive, love, and serve those closest to us. Humility, as defined in C.J. Mahaney's book, Humility, is honestly assessing ourselves in the light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. When we are comparing ourselves to God's holiness and not other sinful people, God always comes out on top. Our standard for the way we treat each other comes from God, not the way we are treated. A few years ago, my mother-in-law, Leanne, moved in with our family. This was not something we had expected, but the Lord was gracious in preparing to add, us, add her to our home. It's not always been easy or without issues. At times, it's been hard. At times, I was annoyed. But then, God graciously reminded me of how my husband and I, as a married couple with a year and a half under our belt, moved in with my in-laws after we graduated from college. Asher was starting medical school in his hometown, and this really helped us save money. As an immature 22-year-old, I was not the easiest to live with. Looking back, I can definitely tell you something about myself at the time. I was an inconsiderate slob. I left messes wherever I went. I didn't really contribute much to the general household, except sometimes making dinner and baking sweets, likely leaving a big mess in the process. What makes it even worse is that I was not working full time and I had really a lot of time in my hands. At some point, my mother-in-law hired a cleaning service. I can't say for sure if it was because of me, but I have a sneaking suspicion I was the straw that broke that camel's back. <laughs> Did I mention, at the time, she was a full-time teacher with a 10-year-old who, who I made cry on occasion because I didn't want to play with her. I didn't really like kids at the time, and I was not always very nice to her. Even though I was a total brat, my mother-in-law never made me feel unwelcome or that she didn't want me there. 
She was gracious and just happy to have us. When we decided to move out, regardless of the extra work I caused her, they were legitimately sad to see us go. I know at the time I was not really self-aware. I did not see my own flaws or shortcomings, but I could see my in-laws. I could tell you all the ways they were imperfect and hard to live with, but I didn't see my own sin. I was not humble. When we are dealing with family members, we need to be careful not just to see their sin. A test of this would be asking yourself, when we are judging and comparing, do I always come out on top? Am I always looking like the good guy and they the bad guy when I recount our conflicts? With the help of my husband, I've been able to approach my mother-in-law living with us with humility. He is good to remind me not to make things a big deal and just to love her. With this attitude, I've been able to see what a blessing she is to us. You moms of school-age kids with activities know how crazy driving kids to and fro can be. Leanne is a happy and willing chauffeur. She's always great at helping the kids with their schoolwork and loves to read with them. Overall, she's added to the joy in our home. Another thing I Googled for this talk was how to deal with a difficult mother-in-law. My computer is in a common area for all to see. So I had to reassure her, I'm not trying to figure out how to deal with you, I'm just doing research. I found a number of online articles and blogs, and I was pleasantly surprised by some of the advice these articles gave, like, talk it out with your mother-in-law, plan an activity for your spouse and their mother, don't take anything she says too personally, kill her with kindness, and try to look at the lighter side of things. There was also some bad advice, like dishing it back to her. If she's rude to you, just be rude back. Don't do that. Or just take off when she's around. Again, this will not help you make progress in your relationship with her. She'll very quickly notice you disappear each time she comes around. Some other bad advice to give that I know I am guilty of was venting to her about venting about her to the other daughter-in-law so you can feel better. This can be very tempting, believing that your sister-in-law is the only one who truly understands how hard this relationship can be, but it will not grow you in love towards your mother-in-law. I noticed something completely absent from these articles. None of them challenged the reader that they may need to examine themselves, asking you, how are you treating her? Were you difficult or unloving? Were you being demanding and inflexible? Do you always see yourself as doing the right thing while believing she's always in the wrong? As Christians, we need to be willing to look at ourselves and ask if we are honoring God in our relationship with our in-laws. It was pointed out to me years ago that I should see my in-laws as my parents, putting them in the fifth commandment category. This is stated in Exodus 20:12, saying, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. This was news to me. I did not see that being a good daughter-in-law would mean just being a good daughter. I needed to treat my husband's parents the way the Lord expected me to treat my parents. This can be a helpful guide when struggling with what to do in a certain situation with your in-laws. We need to see our husband's family the same way as we see our own. And because they are his parents, we need to bestow a special honor on them. We need to be courteous, kind, thoughtful, and go above and beyond making them feel an important place in our lives. 
This will help grow in, us grow in a relationship with them and love for them. Ask yourself, how can I bring joy to my in-laws? How can I be a peacemaker in complicated situations? One way you can, you can do this is to be generous with your children. If your children are fortunate enough to have two sets of grandparents, it's your job to make sure they get to know and love both sides. Nancy Wilson talks about daughters, ways daughters-in-law can love their in-laws in her book, Building Her House. One of her challenges is to adapt to your in-laws concerning your children. If they want to babysit, great. Let them babysit and go out on a date. But if they don't, don't impose on them. A common complaint I've heard from women with young children is that parents or their in-laws do not want to babysit or help with their children. It is awesome when we have parents that desire help with our children, especially when they are young. But expecting that they should be our go-to babysitter can really cause bitterness when that expectation is not met. A friend of mine has five kids, and when they were young, they were rambunctious and full of energy. She confided to me that she was frustrated that her mother-in-law was only willing to watch two kids at a time. It would have been more helpful for her as a homeschooling mom for her, their grandmother to take all the kids so she could run errands or get house projects done in peace. This made her resentful towards her mother-in-law, but she was not looking at it from her mother-in-law's perspective. The reality was she had raised only two boys and may not have felt comfortable or equipped to watch all five at once. And maybe she wanted the time with them to be really special, so they felt loved by her. If we are humble and gracious, we can more easily put ourselves in someone else's shoes and not get upset when our requests are not fulfilled. And there are many different ways to get together with your parents or in-laws so that they can enjoy your children and grow in relationship with them. Ways you can be present in case they feel overwhelmed by a bunch of little people. Invite them over to do a fun craft, go to the zoo with everyone, or just have them over for a meal. If we try to control the ways our children interact with our extended family, we may sour that relationship. We need to be loose with our expectations. And if you're struggling in your relationship with your in-laws, don't let this affect your children's relationship with them. Allow your children to be free of this burden. Don't talk, with, don't talk about your problems with your children. Continue to make opportunities for your children to see them. Children can actually be a wonderful bridge over time. Their love for your kids can be very healing to your relationship. I know watching my mother-in-law love my children has really softened my heart towards her and made me love and appreciate her more. In addition, this will be a great example to your children. God willing, one day they'll be married and have another family to learn to love. If you model what it looks like to honor God in these relationships, even when they're hard, you're equipping them to be able to do the same. Some of you ladies are really fortunate to have a close relationship with your mom. This is a real blessing. But do not let this stop you from pursuing and cultivating a relationship with your mother-in-law. This can really be a special relationship. Having two moms in this capacity is a gift. You may be annoyed or frustrated with the way that she's different from you, but because of those differences, you have lots to learn from her. Remember, this is the woman that raised the man you loved, and it's a blessing for him, to him for you to embrace and love her. I have a friend who makes the world's best cookies, all varieties of them. 
My absolute favorite is her sugar cookies. They are so buttery and soft, they just melt in your mouth. I asked her where she had gotten, where she'd learned to make them, and she told me it was her mother-in-law's recipes. Sometime after they got married, my friend made her husband a batch of cookies. He kindly thanked her, ate them, and then asked if she'd be willing to learn how to make his mother's cookies. <laughs> after growing up on her cookies, he had been ruined all other homemade cookies. As a newlywed, I'm not sure I would have handled that request very well. The thought of my husband comparing me to his mom and her coming out on top would have made me bristle. But my friend, a humble, godly woman, accepted her husband's request and learned how to make the cookies. I asked if she would show me how to make these cookies and came to realize this was no simple recipe. These were complicated cookies. This speaks even more highly to my friend's character and her humility, which all of her friends were very blessed by because we got to enjoy those cookies. Now, for those of you who are mother-in-laws and future mother-in-laws, remember, you can also embrace and pursue your daughter-in-law. Don't be afraid to reach out to her and cultivate your relationship with her. Get to know her, not just for the sake of being with your children, with your grandchildren or son, but be a blessing to her. You have lots to offer her and she you. Maybe it's not your in-laws that's a struggle for you. Maybe it's your siblings or other extended family. What are some ways we can shift to a more godly relation perspective in how to love them and honor them in our relationship with them? Colossians 3.12 through 15 says, So, as those who've been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect, un perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Be thankful. Gratitude is a wonderful tool that helps us to love others free from bitterness and anger when we've been sinned against. I come from a family of five children. I have two brothers and two sisters, like siblings, we are very much alike and also very different, which in some ways makes it difficult to always get along. When I was 24, my father had a stroke that debilitated him. He could no longer walk, see, or take care of himself. He needed someone to be with him all the time and could not be left alone. By this time, all five of us were living out of the house. My mother was still working full time, so she needed one of us to move home with her to help with my dad, or else he'd have to stay in a nursing home. I was married with the baby living in another state. My older brother lived close to them, but worked and had a family to take care of. My two younger siblings are both away at college. My older sister was also living in another state working, but unattached. Because she was the only one who could move back home, this burden fell on her. My mom was able, oh, my sister sacrificed her independence and moved home. My mom was able to bring my dad home and continue to work full-time to provide for them. Sometime later, my older sister got married, and my younger sister moved home to help with my dad. My brothers have also been a great help in, my, in helping my mother navigate life and getting the best care for my dad. My younger brother really helped in the bodily care of my father, showing up each evening to get him ready for bed. He had a much stronger back than my mom. 
My older brother helped with her finances, medical bills, insurance issues, banking, and so on. Because I was a stay-at-home mom of littles, I was able to go down with my kiddos for long stints of time to help my mom when she needed it. Between the five of us, we were able to make my mom's life easier caring for my father. Did I mention that sometimes we didn't get along? We got greatly annoyed with one another and argued. We would grumble and complain that this one wasn't doing that and I was doing more than him or her. Sometimes I would just be really be frustrated by the life choices my siblings made or just generally disappointed in our relationship. But at some point in these years, the Lord gave me the gift of being grateful for them. I came across adult children who were the only ones that cared for their aging parents. And I realized that my mom would not have been able to care for my dad the way she did if there was just one or two of us, or a number of us just checked out and didn't care. Did we do it perfectly, all carrying the same burden at the same time? No, but we did carry the burdens in the way the Lord gave us the ability to. This gratitude has allowed me to cover their sins with love, as well as recognizing that I have my own sins that I need to seek forgiveness from. Humility is a virtue that can help us in these sibling relationships. I have a friend who has a relatively good relationship with her siblings, but often feels like her opinion is dismissed by them. This is hard because she feels like, and she does, have wisdom and insight to offer to their lives. This has left her feeling hurt and defeated in their relationship. Her husband has encouraged her not to take this personally, but also to believe the best in them, not assuming because their history, they do not value what she says. It is her job to continue to live out her life in obedience to God. And if they do not see it, the Lord will. Remember, he gives grace to the humble. And if we quietly wait on God, he may grant us the ability to speak into the lives of those we love when it counts the most. And even if we are never given the respect we deserve, or we think we deserve, we can rest in the fact that we are honoring and obeying God, and in the end, that's all that matters. When we are seeking guidance, we must always search the scriptures. It's not just full of wisdom with how we should behave, but as great examples for us as well. When it comes to family, there's a lot of negative examples, like Joseph's brothers and how they dealt with him when they were jealous of them, of him because their father favored him. It's a bad idea to sell your brother into slavery and tell your father he's been killed by a wild animal. Or the bitter and contentious rivalry between Esau and Jacob and Rachel and Leah. And of course, we see it in the jealous rage that caused Cain to murder Abel. These examples show how bitterness and anger can lead to great sin that has far-reaching consequences. But the Word of God also graciously gives us examples of sacrifice and faithfulness to family. One of those places is the book of Ruth. Ruth is a short book in the Old Testament that tells the story of a Hebrew family in the time of Judges. They leave the land of Israel to live in Moab. While they're there, the husband dies, and then the two adult sons die leaving their mother, Naomi, and their Moabite wives, Orpah and Ruth, to fend for themselves. Naomi realizes she has no choice but to move back to Israel to survive and releases her daughter-in-law, telling them she has no way to provide husbands for them. Orpah tearfully leaves and goes back to her family, but Ruth refuses to leave Naomi, telling her, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you will go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay, 
Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Ruth saw that Naomi had no one in the world and committed her life to helping her, forsaking all she had known. Ruth's dedication to Naomi is a great example of the fifth commandment being played out. Naomi was on her mother, but she was her mother-in-law, and the person that connected them was dead. Ruth did not know what lay ahead as she made this vow. She just knew the right thing to do was to care for her mother-in-law. As the story goes on, we see how Ruth is rewarded for her faithfulness to Naomi. When they arrive in Israel, Ruth goes out to gather food in the fields for the two of them. While doing this, she comes across a man named Boaz. He sees how Ruth has sacrificed for Naomi and commends her for it. He tells her, and now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do what you ask. All the people of my town know you are a woman of noble character. He is the man that ends up being their kinsman redeemer which meant that he'd be able to buy back the land that Naomi's family gave up when they moved, so that Naomi's family's name would not be cut off from the land of Israel. It also meant he had to marry Ruth, and he did just that. By the end of the book, Boaz and Ruth marry, and they have a son. As I reread the book, I noted that even after Ruth is married, she still brings honor to Naomi by allowing her to, claim, to have claim to this child. Ruth 4.14 says, the women said to Naomi, Praise be the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi in her, took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This short book is full of God's faithfulness. Naomi and Ruth went through some hard times together. It says that when Naomi got back to Bethlehem with Ruth, she told the women to call her Mara. She tells them it's because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me and the Almighty has brought misfortune on me. It doesn't seem that Naomi had a really great attitude or a lot of hope in going back. Naomi actually is founding, sounding full of negativity, maybe a little toxic. But regardless, Ruth stuck by her, and she is rewarded by God, not just for her sacrifice, but through it. I really don't know what span of time this book takes place, Sometimes we will see the, the fruit of our, faithful, our faithfulness to act in a way that pleases God immediately. But often it takes longer, maybe even years. But that's the beauty of family. They are there for the long haul. We have to have a long-term view of these relationships, understanding that not all conflicts and issues will be resolved overnight. But we need to keep soft hearts towards our family and do not grow weary in doing them good. Remember how Christ loves us, forgiving us and embracing us. We must use that model to love our family. If we can be patient to do what the Lord requires of us, he will be faithful. Family, even when they are hard, 
is a gift from the Lord. Through loving them without limits, being humble in our interactions, and having gratitude for them, we can honor God and be a joy and a blessing to these people that God has placed in our lives. All right, ladies, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the wisdom that it gives us to help um, us deal with everyday problems. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to love those that you've put in our lives. Help us to love our in-laws and our siblings the way that you love us, Lord. And help us through that love to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Wow, that was such a practical talk. There were so many things that we could apply in our lives today. Well, in our families. One of the cool things at Mom to Mom at our church is that after someone shares to the whole group, we usually have some time for some discussion at our tables. And actually, this is where we really hash through how to take what we've learned and put it into practice in our lives. It's so helpful to think about all the things that Melina talked about. I was actually at this event, which is great, and I was able to talk at my table and hear some of the women and the things they were going to apply in their lives regarding their extended family. So I wanted to share a couple with you. First, one woman shared about how her family all lives really far away, and it's difficult to travel, and it's just becoming increasingly harder to get back home because their families live in different places, she and her husband. But she shared how one family at church welcomed her and her husband and their three little children into their home for Christmas, and what a huge blessing that was to her. And it, how it's encouraged her to invite people in on Christmas or other holidays if you can. I think that's a great practical application, and I love that this other family decided they would collect all the people who didn't have somewhere to go and sort of make their own family for that holiday event. Another woman shared about how she's got some challenges with her extended family members. We had a great discussion about how we need to love our extended family, no matter if they have a different worldview, and um, try to include them in different ways. One of the ways she talked about that I thought was great is she talked about how she encourages her older grown kids, I think they're all adults, to, um, to just use all that fancy technology they have to keep in touch with their grandparents and their aunts and uncles. She had a rule that if your grandma calls or grandpa calls, you pick up the phone no matter where you are and you talk to them for a few minutes. I just loved this. I thought this is a great way to show love to our extended family and technology is a great way to do that. These are just two practical things that really are exactly what we should be doing. We should be picking something. So how about you? Maybe it's practicing graciousness when your mother-in-law has a different opinion about the food you made (laughs) or... Maybe it's your own parents. Maybe you need to share your children more frequently with your parents or your in-laws. Maybe it's making a phone call to a family member that you don't normally talk to just to check in with them and see how they're doing. These are all pretty easy ways to reach out and love our extended family. And these are all good ways that opens doors for good conversations. And perhaps these conversations will lead to good conversations about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Father, I am so grateful to you for this upcoming holiday season and for the time that we will get to spend with our family. I just ask that you would give each woman listening great wisdom and direction in how she speaks, loves, and even thinks about her extended family. 
Help us to honor you even in these situations. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, join us next week as we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of really practical things that we can learn to do. We're going to be chit-chatting about wedding registries and baby registries and hosting a large gathering in our home, no matter the size. It's going to be a great episode, and I know you're not going to want to miss all the practicality that comes with it. And remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress, because of God, until next time.